I'll add my own greeting to Katie's. Welcome to worship at Kenilworth Union Church this morning. We're preaching a sermon series called Shafts of Light, and we're going to be talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor today. And some of you will guess why I'm reading this specific psalm from the Hebrew Psalter when we're talking about Dr. Bonhoeffer. This is Psalm 74. O God, why do you cast us off forever? Your foes have roared within your holy place. They set up their emblems there. At the upper entrance, they hacked the wooden trellis with axes, and then with hatchets and hammers, they smashed all its carved work. They set your sanctuary on fire. They desecrated the dwelling place of your holy name, bringing it to the ground. They said to themselves, we, were utter we will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. Yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the earth. God divided the sea by God's might. God broke the heads of the dragons in the waters. God crushed the heads of Leviathan. God gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. God cut openings for springs and torrents. God dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours, Lord, is the day, yours also the night. You establish the luminaries and the sun. You have fixed all the bounds of the earth. You made summer and winter. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Please pray with me. This is a prayer of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. God, in me there is darkness, but with you there is light. I am lonely, but you do not leave me. I am feeble in heart, but with you there is help. I am restless, but with you there is peace. In me there is bitterness, but with you there is patience. I don't always understand your ways, but you know the way for me. Now guide us by your word to do your will. Amen. So there are five stained glass windows in the Malat Chapel representing good things in our Christian faith. There are four Christian virtues and a global organization. For instance, there's a patience window. There's also a mercy window. Alexander Zolzhenitsyn is in the freedom window along with Lech Walesa and Václav Havel. And so I begin this meditation this morning with the somber observation that Dietrich Bonhoeffer is in the martyrdom window, along with Martin Luther King and Anne Frank. And so to begin the story with the end of the story, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed in a Nazi concentration camp at the age of 39, the exact same age as Martin Luther King. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was an unlikely saint, an unlikely hero, and even an unlikely Christian pastor. When he and his twin sister Sabine were born in 1906, they were the sixth and seventh of eight children born into the Bonhoeffer household. It was a home of enormous privilege. Dietrich's father was the chair of neurology and psychology at the University of Berlin. And so this home was crawling with servants. There was a gardener, a cook, a chauffeur, maids, housekeepers, and get this, there were eight governesses. There were a governess for every child, eight governesses. Must have looked a little bit like Downton Abbey 
Maybe not quite, but almost. And so the thing is, for the Bonhoeffers, they had nothing to lose and everything to gain by just going along and getting along with Hitler's titanic malice. But that's not how it worked out. And here's the thing, the Bonhoeffer household was not even observant. They would have been nominally Lutheran, I guess. They would have attended church to marry, bury, and baptize, and probably had some anemic faith in God. But like much of the aristocratic and academic class in Germany at the beginning of the 20th century, they were way too smart for God. They were way too sophisticated for faith. And so everybody was shocked when little Dietrich headed for the Christian ministry. He, earned his, he was a brilliant student. He earned his Ph.D. degree at the age of 21, yes, 21, at the University of Berlin, summa cum laude. He could read and or speak Hebrew, Greek, Latin, Italian, Spanish, and French, but was terrible at English, even though he'd visited the United States twice and read theology at Union Theological Seminary. Well, enough of those drab details. I cut to the chase. It is as if from the beginning of time, destiny or fate or providence or some invisible and inscrutable principality foreordained that these two polar opposites would crash together in a colossal collision beginning in 1933. These two polar opposite men, one who put his faith in an unearthly spiritual power in Jesus of Nazareth, and the other who put his faith in the supremacy of goose-stepping stormtroopers, panzers, Luftwaffe, V-1 rockets, U-boats, and the naked power of seething hatred. Adolf Hitler becomes chancellor in Germany on January 30, 1933. Two days later, two days, a 26-year-old Dietrich Bonhoeffer goes on the radio to denounce this national decision. Now, Dr. Bonhoeffer knows that the German nation has been searching for a Fuhrer, a leader, a savior who would lift them up out of the brokenness and humiliation that had commenced in 1919 at Versailles. And yet, he wants to warn his German compatriots that very quickly, a Fuhrer can turn into a Verfuhrer. A leader can turn into a misleader. And he can see what's coming because of his unswerving, intimate faith in Jesus of Nazareth. He knows what's coming. This radio broadcast is cut off, of course, in mid-sentence. And he's the almost, almost the only one in the entire German church who knows what's coming, who seems to realize what's happening. Three weeks later, three weeks after Hitler became chancellor in Germany, a munitions factory in Dachau will be transformed into the church first concentration camp. Three weeks. And so the Germans spend most of 1933 on a book-burning spree. They burn books by Albert Einstein, Sigmund Freud, Hermann Hesse, Thomas Mann, and Heinrich Heine, who had warned 100 years earlier that when you begin by burning books, you end up by burning people. And that's exactly what happened. And after five years, the Nazis take a break from burning books, and they begin burning Jewish businesses and synagogues. November 9... 1938, on that evening, 
The German citizens of Berlin, for instance, would rampage through the streets, burning and crushing Jewish shops and synagogues. That evening would become known as Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass. Dietrich Bonhoeffer loved the Hebrew Psalms. He prayed them every day. He used the Hebrew Psalms to inform and enrich his own already lively conversation with God. The last book he published before they threw him in prison was a meditation on the Psalms. And if you were to get a copy of Dr. Bonhoeffer's own psalm book, you'd find that he appended a handwritten note to Psalm 74, which I read a few moments ago. And you'd notice that this handwritten note is just a date. And the date is November 9, 1938. Kristallnacht. It's the only such notation in the entire psalm book. Psalm 74 reads, At the upper entrance they hacked the wooden trellis with axes and then with hatchets and hammers they smashed all its carved work. They set God's sanctuary on fire. They desecrated the sanctuary of God's holy name, bringing it to the ground. Psalm 74 is obviously originally a reference to the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in 587 B.C., but Dr. Bonhoeffer read it as well as a prediction of Kristallnacht, and I think he's right about that. Now, with all this going on, almost the entire German church is professing an undying loyalty to Adolf Hitler on August 20, 1938. Does that date resonate with anybody? April 20, 1938. The Lutheran church demands that every Lutheran pastor swear an oath of allegiance to Adolf Hitler. I swear that I will be faithful and obedient to Adolf Hitler, the Fuhrer of the Reich and the German people. April 20, 1938. This oath of allegiance was uh, was presented to Adolf Hitler as a birthday present. These are ordained ministers of the word and sacrament in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would never swear such an unworthy oath, and that is why he's one of our local saints. That's why he's emblazoned in that stained glass window in the Malat Chapel. That's why his inimitable witness still stands as a crucial contribution, even 75 years later, to our own Christian faith. We who are dual citizens, yes, dual citizens in the United States of America and in the kingdom of God. Because Dietrich Bonhoeffer taught us that faithful Christians can never conflate the cause at hand with the will of God. Christians can never put their ultimate trust in a penultimate demagogue. Earthly authority is generally God's gracious gift to God's earthbound children. Still, Jesus Christ alone is Lord. Jesus Christ alone is King. And Christians never place earthly leaders at the right hand of God because that's where Jesus sits. And if we forget that, we might start, we might start by burning books, proceed to burning synagogues, and end up burning people. That's what happens when you forget Jesus of Nazareth. Every earthly power is contingent, dependent, provisional, derivative, and temporary. 
We forget that because we put so much effort and energy into our little local temporary political squabbles, yes? 80% of American evangelicals are still in thrall to Donald Trump. Now it's true, people of good conscience may differ, but it's the comprehensiveness of that loyalty that's a little disturbing. And it's just not the evangelical part of the church. The left does this same thing. Liberals do it with opposite kinds of leaders. How many standing ovations were there in that speech to Congress the other night? Half the room was exhausted. The other was catching up on its sleep. But half the room was exhausted from clapping. Reminded me of a great story Alexander Zolzhenitsyn tells, which would be amusing if it weren't so sad. Alexander Zolzhenitsyn tells a story about a Communist Party conference in Moscow in the 1920s. And at the conclusion of this Communist Party conference, one of the moderators asked for a spontaneous tribute to Comrade Stalin, to Joseph Stalin. And of course, instantly the entire room rose to its feet in thunderous applause, a standing ovation. And on and on the ovation went. Seven minutes, eight minutes, nine minutes. No one dared to stop clapping. Joseph freaking Stalin. Old people were dropping like flies. It ended up going on for 11 minutes. Now try to do a standing ovation for 11 minutes. Your hands will be red and your arms exhausted. No one dared to stop clapping. Finally, one of the conveners did stop clapping and sit down, and instantly the whole room sat down as well and went silent, but the first one to to sit down was given a 10-year sentence in the gulag. Christians never pledge allegiance to an unworthy regency because Jesus Christ alone is sovereign. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's unswerving, fearless discipleship was costly in the extreme because totalitarianisms cannot abide such rebelliousness. These humble rebels will crush totalitarianisms. And so this unworthy regime which demanded but did not receive Dietrich Bonhoeffer's fealty finally hanged him with piano wire at Flossenburg concentration camp on April 9, 1945. Two weeks before the American army liberated the camp. 19 days before Adolf Hitler met his own miserable end. He never relinquished his faith in the goodness of God. At Christmas time, 1944, his last Christmas on earth, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a poem for his mother and for his 21-year-old fiance. By gracious powers so wonderfully sheltered and confidently waiting, come what may, we know that God is with us night and morning and never fails to greet us each new day. This poem echoes the same tone of Psalm 74, which begins in despair, but ends with God's victory. And over the years, hymn writers have turned Dr. Bonhoeffer's poem into a poignant, moving hymn. And it's going to be sung for us in a minute, and when we hear it, we'll notice that 
The text, the words are hopeful and joyful and uplifting, but the tune it's matched with is a little sad. It's lugubrious and mournful. It's mostly in the minor key. But Lisa Bond wants us to notice that on its last chord, this tune shifts from the minor to the major to give us that uplift of hope no matter how dark the present hour. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.